Welcome to episode 127 of the 200 Churches Podcast. How do we lead people to Jesus if we're not around people who don't know Jesus? Right. And even if we never leave anybody to Jesus, isn't there isn't there something in Matthew 25, maybe 25, 35 about just helping people? Now, Carl, you better calm down with this. I know. You better and, and, calm oh, down with this loving people and helping people stuff. And amazingly, while we were at the first center on Sunday, a woman literally drove up in a van filled with everything she owned, and we helped her get set up in her new apartment on oh, Sunday. Oh, wow. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday, we produce a fresh episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who, like you, serve in the trenches of small church ministry, the Amber Crombie and Fitch of ministry podcasts, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Cady, and I'm here with my good friend and podcast partner, Johnny Craig. Johnny, we're here with Carl the Shark Vaders. Oh, it feels good, Carl. Uh, hey, good to be back. Carl, do you want me to you, missed me? Do you want me to put the music in, Carl? Absolutely, I've yes, missed please. you. Oh, absolutely. Have you ever heard the music? Yeah, I listen to the podcast when I'm on it. Oh, wow. <laughs> hey, that music, you got to admit, you got to admit the Jaws music is pretty cool. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, oh for sure. Oh yeah. Honesty although, is the best policy. There's, there's a new thing going on now. I was just at a conference in Missouri. And uh, at the, when they started it, they pronounced my name Vaders. So I let them know it was Vaders, like, as in Darth. And so Vaders. a guy at the conference kept Darthing me. He kept taking pictures of me and putting Darth masks on me. It was hilarious. I saw so, some of those online. I thought those looked pretty good. Yeah, he did a good job. So it's a thing now, Darthing. Darthing. Yeah. But your last name has to be Vaders or it doesn't work. Yeah. I, there's no treatment for Craig. It's kind of boring. Yeah, that's true. Well, Carl, welcome back to the podcast. You, we have we have avoided you for several months, but here you are. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've been feeling lonely and neglected. I know. I know you have. Now, uh, we we only have four Wednesdays a month, and if we happen to bring in, you know, local people, or we do one on our own, and then we've got our regulars. You know, it just doesn't work out. Once a month doesn't work out anymore. Excuses, excuses, excuses. I know. (laughs) Well, I know that, uh, you know, you get paid by the episode, and so it's just a little bit less money you're getting. But, we're, you know, we're sorry. Is less possible? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, we could charge you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Johnny gets paid in cans of Diet Coke. That's true. That's very true. Well, he can keep those. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Any no anytime com- we get together, I'll buy you a whatever your beverage of choice is, Carl. Gotcha. Okay. Carl, you wrote a blog post recently that that we want to kind of start the the pot this podcast episode with it. It had something to do with a Volkswagen and hauling rocks. Yeah. And, and somehow yeah. somehow you tied that in to 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 be instructive to pastors of small churches somehow. Yeah, exactly. Could you reconstruct you, that for us? Yeah. The, the <laughs> idea for it is it has to do with the church building, actually. Um, you know, I, I, we live in a, I live in a very populous part of the country, Orange County. There's, you know, like three million people within a half hour drive of the church. Uh, but the church building itself uh, was built over 50 years ago, which as church buildings go, isn't particularly old. Um, but it's old enough to matter because 50 years ago, 
people went to church very differently than they do today. Yeah. So 50 years ago, it was built for, you know, 3.4 people per car. Uh, it was built for people coming in expecting to have a polite service in the main room while polite children sat politely in rows in the back room. And uh, there was a choir and, you know, that kind of church thing. And now it's very different. Now it's, you know, 1.2 people per car. And uh, in our area, people come in on bikes and uh, skateboards and they grab a, they, they come with a Starbucks in hand, which we allow them to drink in the sanctuary. How dare you? Yeah, I know. It's just, uh, I'm a radical like that. You're not uh, radical. You're just worldly. <laughs> that's the other term I've heard occasionally yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, and then we do a lot of ministry with youth and we've got a skateboard park and it's just a different, more aggressive society that we live in now than we lived in 50 years ago. And our church building on less than an acre of land wasn't built to do the kind of ministry that we're doing now. So when I tell people, I tell them the way, the way we do it, it, it's like what I call hauling rocks in a Volkswagen. So here's the explanation of that little phrase. Okay, At, okay. Imagine that you've got the job, the calling from God of hauling rocks from one location to the next. You got that picture in your head? Got it. Second picture in your head is the only vehicle you've been given to haul these rocks in is a Volkswagen Beetle. Okay. Okay. Now, you've got one of two options. Option number one is you can go out and get some moving blankets and cover the back seat very carefully with them so that the upholstery won't get torn or worn out. And you can cover the back seats with that, lay maybe three or four large rocks on it at the most, because at that point you're kind of stressing the shocks and the struts, and you don't want to ruin your nice little Volkswagen. And you can haul three or four rocks at a time and take forever to get the job done if it gets done at all. Or you can cut off the back end, cut off the back of the roof of the Volkswagen. You can tear out the back seats. You can replace them with plywood or sheet metal. You can reinforce the struts and shocks, dump all the rocks in possible, and start hauling rocks. Can I say, I thought that was ridiculous until I saw the picture of a Volkswagen that that had been done to. <laughs> yeah, I found one and put it on the website. Yep, I couldn't believe my eyes. Yep. I think it went from Herbie to the Herbinator. There, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's crazy. Cool. I know. Yeah, people actually do that. So, yeah. So, so that's what we've done with our church. Our church is a Volkswagen Beetle. Um, so we've, you know, cut the back end off because we're hauling rocks now. We're, our building wasn't designed to do the kind of ministry we're doing now, but we're figuring out how to make it work. And for us, it's a simple matter of people matter more than buildings. In too many churches, I've been in them and you've probably been in them too, where it seems like everything they talk about and everything they do is uh, getting the people to serve the building. You know, we got to take extra money to fix the building. You got to behave yourself in it because it's the building. Kids can't run because it's a church building. You can't have coffee in the sanctuary because it's a holy place. And I may offend a couple listeners, but I don't care because it's not my podcast. Um, <laughs> but That's I don't okay. We'll think take it. We'll take in, it. In, in New Testament Christianity, there are no physically holy places. Right. In, in the Old Testament, yeah, there was the temple, but God physically dwelt in the temple. Today, right. God physically dwells in us. And our churches. Yeah, and, and the church, but exactly. <laughs> if 
I'll even go with you on that one as long as you define church correctly. The building with the steeple on it, right? Well, yeah, of course. That's what I've been with Jeff. We were heading with that. I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, right? The church is us when we gather together. So the the holy place is my heart where I have invited Christ to dwell. Right. The building, thank God for a building, for churches that have a building. If you've got one, thank God for it. I've got one. It's way too small to do what we're wanting to do, but I thank God we have what we have, and we're going to adapt the building for the people rather than asking the people to adapt to the building. Now, Carl, how how did you get here? Because now maybe you just have this type of congregation. The day you walked in the door, they were like ready to build a skate park in the backyard. How did you get to a place (laughs) where you could do that? Because I know in my short time... Uh, at our church, I've had all sorts of ideas about facilities and changes, and let's make this from that. And some of them go through, and others of them blow up in my face almost immediately. I'm sure that nobody would say it's because we worship the building, but because because everything has a story, Carl. Yeah. How oh, could I we agree. possibly move that painting that Mona painted and hung on that wall in 1977? Mm-hmm. Mona Lisa. Yep. Mona Lisa. Yeah. No, I agree. That is a very, very difficult thing. I've been at the church 22 years, and it's only been about the last five to seven years that I feel like I have complete freedom to do what we need to do, and nobody's going to second guess it. You outlasted the curmudgeons. That's what you got to out, out love them and outlive them. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And you, and you know what? Very seriously, you do have to outlove them. You yeah, really absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yeah. You really do. It, 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 I, I say it somewhat jokingly, but I really mean the, the outlove, both parts. You, you've got to uh, understand people's connection to the building is not entirely unreasonable. Because at some point before I showed up, somebody went to them and asked them for a major sacrifice of their time, energy, and money to build this building. And they gave that right. major sacrifice of time, energy, and money. And I don't have a right to, to come along and despise that gift. Sure. And that, and so, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So what, we, what we've done – well, actually, okay, in a moment, remind me of the, um, the, the church's founding documents. But for now, i got to tell you a story because if you can get one of these, it will really help. The problem is you can't make happen what I'm about to tell you. The day after I was elected as the pastor of this church – this actually happened. The church had something like 23 to 25 uh, large trees planted across the front of it. You literally couldn't see a physical building when you drove by. That's horrible. Oh, yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. And it was my first thing was like, I got to figure out how to get rid of these trees, but they're going to kill me because the, they're emotionally attached to these things. How big were the trees? anywhere, various sizes and styles. Some of them, the real tall ones and skinny, some of the big leafy ones, but 23 to 25 of them. Okay. And you physically couldn't see the building. So the, the day after I'm elected, I'm driving back home again. I'm elected as the new pastor. I'm driving back home again. There's a storm that happens in Fountain Valley. And during that storm, lightning knocks down one of the trees. Oh boy. So I get that, home. Was it the first I, fruits? <laughs> well, it was the first of something, let me tell you. So I get home and I get a call from a, a deacon member saying, uh, Pastor, uh, lightning knocked down one of the trees. And I'm like, okay. He says, the problem is 
these are there are these two really tall trees, and they are the two that grew up on either side of the main window of the church. When you look at the church, there's a cross in the middle, there's a stained glass window right beneath it, and everything else goes out from there. And these two framed that glass stained glass window so much that you couldn't see either the cross or the stained glass window. One has gone, and now it's lopsided. Well, you can't have that. Exactly. symmetry. He, he says, should we tear down the other one? Uh, the obvious answer yes. was, yes, of course, <laughs> because otherwise it will look bad. So literally my first decision as the pastor of this church was to take down a tree because God knocked the other one down. <laughs> so you knew that you were joining God in what he was doing in Fountain Valley. I mean, if lightning strike from heaven isn't God's doing, then I don't know what is. <laughs> so so you go from there, and then you, you wanted to talk about the founding documents of the church. Yeah. One of the things I recommend for pastors when they're trying to change things, especially for a building, is to go back and f- pull out the founding documents of the church. Because churches are not started by fuddy-duddies and sticks in the mud. Mm-hmm. Churches are started by pioneers. And if you go back to your founding documents, you will almost certainly find phrases and vision statements and uh, other documents that talk about the kinds of things that they want to do to reach their community for Jesus. And those are more a part of the foundation of the church than the building is. As an example, I found a uh, an article from a newspaper an interview that was done with the founding pastor of my church one week before the church started. It was in a local, you know, one of those little local freebie newspapers that go around the neighborhood, right? Sure, yeah. The headline of this article in which they interviewed the founding pastor of our church the week before the church started was this. The church can reach juvenile delinquents. Wow, they can. Yeah, which which anybody 30 and under, today we call them at-risk youth. Back then they called them juvenile delinquents. Okay. (laughs) Right. And and I read that, and I'm looking, as I'm reading it for the first time about 10 years ago, I'm looking out at the skate park we just built, and all I could do was grin from ear to ear. Well, obviously, skateboarders are juvenile delinquents. (laughs) Obviously. I mean, just look at them. (laughs) But it was a wonderful little tool that I've always kept in my back pocket so that if anybody ever comes along and goes, I don't know why we're catering to all of these youth. That's not what the church is for. The, the founders would be turning over in their grave. Really take a look at this headline. Sure. One of the founding reasons for the church was to reach the youth that nobody else is reaching. I, and I believe most churches are going to have that if you can find the founding documents because churches aren't, aren't started by fuddy-duddies. They're started by pioneers. And if we can go back to their original purpose and recognize, hey, they built this building because at that time it fit this purpose, but things have changed. That's just a little bit of, you can maybe get a little bit of a crack in the wall to start doing some things. So that's the first one. The second one is do it slowly. I've been here 22 years and it was at least at the 15 to 16 year point before I felt like I don't have to fight these battles anymore. I had to fight battles over every tree that I had to take out, over changing the chairs, over changing the carpet. You know, the battles that we all fight, I had to fight them all. Yeah. I, I did them respectfully, but I never gave up. 
Johnny's in a state of shock. No, he's staring, no, 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 he's because, staring straight ahead. When you said 15, 16 years, well, <laughs> his eyes fixated well, on the yeah, spot on the wall. 15, 16 years until anything was done. There was a lot done. Right, in 15, right. No, I understand. But, when when but I was they a took, yeah, but they took massaging as it went along. When I was a kid, we lived in a parsonage, and it had the most horrendous green carpet. Uh, I mean, it was just. Well, it was a thousand years old, and it was horrible. It, Our church was, had exactly that carpet when I came. Yeah, and it was—I mean, it was the parsonage. And my dad said, "Hey, we'll um, we'll buy new carpet for the parsonage." As in, like out of his pocket, he would buy new carpet for the parsonage. Right. And people, they they like took a vote and said no. Wow. And that was so. When I got here to uh, this church. We we live in a in a, a parsonage. It's funny to say that in 2015, yeah, but we right. live in a church on property. And I I looked at Jeff like, okay, what what can I do? What can I not do? And he was like, it's your house. Do whatever you want. I was like, yeah, but really, like, can I paint? And, like, <laughs> yeah, can I, I do this? He's like, no, like, it's your house. Like, you can do what you want to do. Did I it. say that? Really? Yeah, that's what he said. Oh, that's cool. why I ripped out all those walls and stuff. No, oh, uh, but you know, we've painted. We've made it our own home. But that just wasn't the way it was. So I do understand. I mean, buildings are like, uh, they mean too much to our people, I would say. Far yeah. too much. Yeah. And usually they've been taught that by pastors. You know, a lot of pastors go and it, it seems like everything they do is building fund, building fund, building fund. And there may be a period of time where you have to do that because you've got to build a building. But I, I think we need to change how we emphasize it. We need to teach, for instance, the priesthood of all believers. We need to teach that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and what that means. Right. We need to relax about how we allow people to use our church building. Because if they see us being tense about using the church building, then they'll be tense about using the church building. Here's what, here's what you know, we live in a white collar town here uh, and the churches have nice facilities in our town. Uh, we have a nice, what I would consider a nice facility. It's dated, uh, but we keep it nice. And I had a college student come to me, and he was proudly declaring that he had told his friend, I go to the ghettoest church in town. <laughs> and it was a positive because he said they're, ner- they're not spending money on making their building the flashiest, the nicest, the most updated. We keep it nice, but we don't yep. go over the top trying to get all these fancy things. Like, I hate the carpet in the lobby, yep. but why are you going to spend $10,000 on carpet? Like, it seems Seriously. ridiculous. And so how do we use, see – I have a lot of tools in my garage, and the ones that I use the most are the most beat up and you know the, yep. the most worn. How do we see our church as a tool rather than the china that my wife keeps in a cabinet that we get out once a year and then hand wash, which exactly. is horrible? Or, or, or how about this? Everybody loves the phrase, um, a, uh, a, a, a torn-up Bible is the sign of a godly person. Right. Right. Amen, amen. Well, a torn up church, a lot of times it's the same way. Hmm. You know, a, a, a Bible that's been used and weathered and worn and has coffee stains on it, nobody looks at that and goes, oh, you're disrespecting God's word. They look at it and go, wow, you're really using it and working right. it, reading it and praying over it. That's, right. that's the sign of a heart that's really passionate for God's word. Or a church building should be the same way. It, yeah, it should be clean. It should be painted. There's a respect that should be given to all of the hard work that went into it. Right. But it's got to work for the ministry that you're being called to do. Carl, there, there's a pastor that I once heard. He talked about the priorities that we should have as church leaders. He's, he's one of those pastors that's pretty close to you, and I don't think anybody will, will figure out who it is. But the very first priority, he had four priorities in, in this order. 
The first one was purposes. Of course, no one will figure Who out. Who could it be? That pastor is. Never heard the word before. So, so number one <laughs> is purposes. Number two is people. Number three is programs. And number four is property. Yep. So you, your purposes are most important than your people, then your programs that accomplish your purposes with your people, and then property. And, right. and then, then he said something that I, I've never forgotten. He said, you know what? He said, so many churches get that exactly the opposite. Yeah. The right. most important is the building and the property, our property, and, and then, dear God, our programs. Our programs, we've always done it this way. Mm-hmm. And then our people... Because, you know, the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And then the very last thing is the purposes of the church, what we're yeah. actually there to do. And, man, that really, that really struck me, and I've, I've never forgotten that. And yeah. I think what we're so, talking about right now is it's exactly that, property right. that we put, we make it holy, and we put it on a pedestal. And uh, so, Carl, your building is old, and... You also wrote you wrote a blog post recently talking about doing doing ministry from that building, you know, out of that building and not necessarily just in the building. A lot of our listeners, small church pastors, have small buildings, and sometimes, honestly, buildings that you really you're not going to bring a whole lot of people do to to do ministry. Yeah. So yeah. just speak to that for a second. You know, the, the pastor that has to really do the ministry outside of his building. Oh yeah, absolutely. Or or doesn't have a building at all. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Whole lot of them out there that don't have that. Yeah. Sometimes the Volkswagen's too small. Um, it just is. You can't do everything you want in there. And in fact, I would say this: it doesn't matter how big the building is. Even this mysteriously unnamed pastor that you mentioned earlier, who with all <laughs> the words that started with P, and I wonder if he's ever alliterated anything else. Probably not. Uh, Probably not. Uh, (laughs) Even his church is not big enough to do all the ministry that God is calling his church to do. No church building will ever be big enough to do all the ministry that God is calling any church to do. Because that's not not the design. That's not what we're called for. So uh, that's, that's our situation. We're less than an acre We've got one room, and in case people are wondering about the size, if you come to our church on a Sunday and you want to sit in the back row, there will only be five rows in front of you. Wow. And you call front, that a church, Carl? Uh, uh, barely. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't. I call the people the church. Didn't Ex- we just go over that? Oh, exactly. I was waiting for you to give me that retort. <laughs> exactly. So that's the size of our building. It's really small. And so, you know, step one is haul rocks in a Volkswagen, adapt the building as much as you can. But step number two, and we really discovered this years ago when I finally made the turn and realized, okay, we, we, we may not ever get out of this building. We may have to live with this building for a long period of time. We've got to figure out how to do ministry from the church, not just in the church. So we do a lot of things outside the walls of our church. Quick example Uh, Twice a year, we do something that we call Share Day. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we have our worship in the morning. We all meet for lunch. And then we head off into our community to four or five different venues where we help people out. And our last Share Day, which as we're recording now, happened to have been last Sunday. uh, So two days ago from where we're talking now, we had our last Share Day. And on that Share Day, um, a couple of the events we did were we went to the state mental hospital 
where we have over the last several share days developed great relationships with the patients there. And we're not talking, it's not a criminal place. It's mm-hmm. where uh, people with a mind of a seven-year-old, but they're 40, uh, don't have any money, don't have any family. And so the state puts them up and they sit there by themselves all day long. And we heard about this need a while ago, because actually because the janitor there works at our, it goes to our church. And he came to me and said, Pastor, I don't know how to help these people, but they, they lay there in their beds all day. What can we do? And so we decided we're going to go over every once in a while and just hang out with them. Now, old school way might have been we're going to send a bus and bring them to the church. Yeah. Two problems with that. One, the state won't let us because that, that whole, I believe, misunderstanding of separation of church and state, another subject for another time. Uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, we're not able to do that. That's so okay, fine. But secondly, even if we could, we can't fit, we can't just keep sending buses out to groups of people because our building's too small. And, and thirdly, they have the mind of a seven year old. They won't understand what I'm saying. Right. So we go to them. We minister in their place and we do it on a regular basis. And two other events that we did on Sunday were we went to two different women's shelters where they house women who have come out of abusive situations. One home, where literally at any time in the middle of the night, if you get up the nerve and the ability to leave an abusive boyfriend or husband, you and your children find your way to our door and we will put you up Hmm. for up to a month. And then there's a second one, which is a transitional home, which trains them, helps them get a job, helps them get a car, helps them get set up in a new apartment. And we're, we're working with both of these places. Neither one of them is a Christian-based place. Both of them have Christians who are in leadership of it, but they're not done as ministries. They're just done as services to the community. Yeah. And up until we showed up, we were told on Sunday, up until we showed up, other churches in the area haven't come in and helped because they won't step outside their Christian bubble to help people. But I'm thinking, how do we lead people to Jesus if we're not around people who don't know Jesus? Right. And even if we never leave anybody to Jesus, isn't there, isn't there something in Matthew 25, maybe 25, 35 about just helping people? Now, Carl, you better calm down with this. I know. You better and, and, calm oh, down with this loving people and helping people stuff. And amazingly, while we were at the first center on Sunday, a woman literally drove up in a van filled with everything she owned, and we helped her get set up in her new apartment on oh, Sunday. Oh, wow. And we're there with uh, our shirts on that have the church name on it. And they know these are Christians helping people with nothing that we expect in return. We, we, do, we do that. We do Fellowship of Christian Athletes at the high school. We do missions trips. We, do, we just do so much ministry outside the walls of the church uh, because it won't all fit inside the walls of the church. It's more comfortable inside the walls, though, isn't it? And it's air-conditioned. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's more comfortable, but it's not more adventuresome. No, it's not. In fact, uh, Sunday, it's California. Sunday was a little bit hot. We had to keep people hydrated because it was they were out there working in the sun at these places. And, uh, you know, it literally is uncomfortable (laughs) to get out. But I've never every every time we have a share day, I say at the end of it, I've never been prouder to be a pastor of this church than I am today. Because uh, we, we have always over 50% of our people, sometimes up to 75% of our people show up and help out on those days. You know, this is sometimes um, we just had, a, we just had a, a guest in with us the other day and uh, I told him sometimes I just I want to do a theological podcast instead of a small church ministry podcast because I get all worked up. But 
I would say what you're saying, you know, we have this um, uh, ingrained misunderstanding, I think, in the church that somehow inside the church is where God is. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Andy Stanley has been, he did a series a few months back and he talked about the temple model of church. And we have this idea that God is inside of the church because God exactly. was inside of the temple. Yep. When you, like you brought up, when you pick up the New Testament, you start to see God is not in the church, almost like exclusively not. In there the is no, church. there is no building in the New Testament. And he, right? no, there and, isn't it. And he, you know, you help the homeless. You're helping Jesus. You help the prisoner. You're helping Jesus. You help those women who are moving to a transitional home. You know, you're doing it for Jesus Christ. Yeah. Our the and, holy and, huddle idea persists even as we make fun of it. And, and absolutely, it's, it's and Jesus and Jesus even got mean and flipped it around and said, "If you don't help them, you're not helping me. And if you don't visit them, you're not visiting me. And if you don't feed them, you've left me hungry." Now let's. Now we're going eschatological podcast. No, we're not going to get into what that means or who's in, who's out. But you're right. We can't right? argue with the fact yeah. that it's there, sitting it's there in there. black and, and white and, and red. And it, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of interpretations, like you say, eschatologically and everything else, but you cannot deny there it is. that it is there and that Jesus says this matters. No question about it. And in over the long term, uh, you know, w- did anybody, you know, bow their knee and say the sinner's prayer on Sunday at any of the events we went to? No. But over the years, I can point to people who are in our church and who gave their lives to Christ for the first time as a result of our share days. Some of them, because they were our neighbors and saw that we were going to be helping their next door neighbor, and they showed up the first time they ever came to our church, quote unquote, was when they were a part of our group helping their neighbor. I mean, that's just a phenomenal witness to the community. You know, I'm realizing we're talking about church buildings, using them differently, and then we're talking about church We've moved, I guess, a little bit in our conversation. We're talking about church, the people, the actual church, and looking at who we are differently. And, and this brings me to the thought that as pastors, a lot of times as pastors, I think we think our job is to build programs, do ministries, preach good messages. But Carl, what you're saying, uh, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, what you're saying is pastors, we have a responsibility to lead the church out of the building into the community, and we go first in this community love and show you know, the church, the people, that that's what's most important. Absolutely and positively. So we go first, Johnny. Yep. Uh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. And because and, 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 if we don't, they won't. No, they won't. No. It's not their fault. They don't. They don't even. No. We. They haven't been taught. They don't know. They. Absolutely. They haven't learned. You know. Yep, in in true. as in as much as we haven't, they haven't. Right. True. And very true. I, I know you, small church pastor, are are sitting out there listening to this, and you're saying to yourself, "I haven't, and they haven't." Sure. You know, I don't. Oh, I'm feeling convicted. I don't, and they don't. I won't, and they won't. And mm-hmm. and whenever we step out of our comfort zone and when it, whenever we step outside of selfishness and we become selfless and we put ourselves in the place where we can serve others, maybe it's a little uncomfortable, don't we always, always, always come back feeling so much better about everything, about, yeah. oh, about yeah. ourselves, about how God can use us, uh, just about the people that we've just ministered to? So. You know, I, I I imagine that pastors, you are out there listening to this, and you're saying, 
boy, you know, maybe my church of 38 people or maybe my church of 114 people can can make a difference in the community. And maybe we ought to take a Sunday afternoon or even a Sunday morning and go out and be with the people who will never be with us in a Sunday service. And for for you, that might be a radical idea or a new idea. But I would encourage you, that's an idea that you absolutely should run with. And Carl, how many years have you been doing this share day? I think we're on our fifth year, maybe. You do it twice um, a year? And, oh, we do it twice a year. And, and, and another part of it, because sometimes when pastors hear that, they go, but I don't know what I would do. I have come up with virtually none of these ideas. Share day wasn't my idea. Somebody else came and said, what if we did something like this? And we said, let's figure out how to make it work. I didn't find the women's shelters. I didn't find the state mental hospital. Uh, so many other events. Yeah. Uh, making blankets for a place that helps gives kids blankets when they've been pulled out of their house in the middle of the night because of a flood or a fire or whatever, and they've got nothing left. And they make these, they call them Linus blankets. And we made them, somebody brought that to us. Virtually every one of these outside the walls ministries, somebody else came with the idea because we developed an atmosphere that was open to that. And you do it on Sundays. We do it on Sundays. Yeah. And, and, the, and actually what we do here, and here we are, you know, in pagan Southern California, Orange <laughs> County. <laughs> Right, and, and it really and it really is. We're we are as far from Bible Belt as you get. Sure. Okay. And on share days, it's the biggest day of the year for most of our church people. We come for church. We have lunch together. We go out and we serve together. Then we come back in the evening for worship, food, and everybody tells their stories of what happened that day. Wow, that's so we fantastic. Are, we do an entire day of church in Orange County where people don't have a full day to give. Yeah. And they can't wait twice a year for that to happen. That's awesome. And it's and it's like old timey, you know, you know, my grandparents' era where you showed up at church in the morning and didn't leave until dark. Well, it, but they didn't stay in the building, but they were exactly. the church. They were the church all day. They were the church all day. And the phrase that yeah. comes into my mind is the beauty of the body. Absolutely. You know, like you said, you didn't come up with those ideas, but the beauty of the body is that each person brings their peace. Uh, each person brings their idea, and they also bring their hands and feet to go out and implement some of these things. Yeah, and sometimes the best tool that a pastor can bring in is the word yes. Yes. You, know, you came up with an idea, <laughs> yes, we're going to okay, figure out how okay. to make that happen. Right. Yeah, right. I, I think that's phenomenal. I like to say that I, I, I always say why not instead of there why. There you go. You Absolutely. Great. Same, same idea. Absolutely. Why not? Let's let's make it happen. So you got I, it. I want to bring this this half circle back around, right yep. to you as a small church pastor to say we, you know, Carl, you've thrown out a lot of ideas. We've been talking about a lot of different things, from from using our our little Volkswagen to haul rocks to getting outside of our church to using our people to do ministry to to using a holy day to do holy service. And yeah. I hope that you as a small church pastor are, are being inspired and are being creative in your mind and thinking, what could my church do? What could our group of people, our church family do in our community? And again, whether it's 14 people in a community of 100, it, it just the numbers don't matter. The Absolutely. numbers don't matter. You can go out and make a difference no matter what size church you have. And Carl, you, you've got, is your church, is your church over 250? No. No. And, 
and you know you've written a book you've been out you've you've spoke on on television on probably on radio i'm assuming uh yep. certainly on podcasts you've gone to places in in conferences where you've talked about the power and the importance and the kingdom uh the kingdom potency of a small church and uh and you're just you're not even man you don't even pastor a church over 250 people but, I know. But what, you, the, the nerve of me. The nerve. <laughs> but you believe. You yeah. believe that you can do something for God through your small church, through your church, through your normal church, through your average church. And so many of you listening have those kinds of churches. Don't you ever dare say, I can't, we can't, because we're not big enough. That's not an option for you as a small church pastor. And Carl, you're proof of that. You're yeah. proof of that. You've been you've been at other countries around the world taking the the grasshopper myth, the message of the grasshopper myth, your book, uh, to those countries and to the believers and the pastors there. And you've inspired groups of people in this. And you're an inspiration to Johnny and I. Yeah. Uh, just how God is using you. And and there's more that we can't talk about today because it hasn't happened yet. But you're working on more ways to to make an impact in in the church of the 21st century in America. Yeah. I, actually, I can I, I can mention a little bit of it, which is uh, Leadership Journal, which most of your listeners will know about. Um, one of the premier, you know, oh, journals yeah. the for cartoon. pastoral leadership. The cartoons. Yeah. Are you going to be drawing cartoons for them? Yeah, exactly. Or you're going to be in the cartoons. <laughs> I've been cartooned by them. <laughs> uh, as of three issues ago, I am now an every issue contributor on the subject of small churches. Every issue. Yeah. I'm I just saw you in the last one, but I don't. Yeah, I don't I, read every single one. Yeah, I've been in the last three, and they want they want something from me every single issue because they have said. We have th- that that church leadership in general has not um, put out enough for small church pastors right. and for small churches, Absolutely. and they want to start putting that out there. Yeah. And we're working on bigger things than that as well. But for right now, uh, the small church pastor is an official contributor to every issue of Leadership Journal. So that's awesome, small church pastor. Yeah. You're 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 starting to get noticed as a viable member of society. <laughs> by Leadership yeah. Journal. Yeah. <laughs> You're at the it's bottom a- no more. That's great. Oh. That is great, Carl. Well, Carl, we appreciate your time and uh, and your stories. And as always, we appreciate your passion for small churches and small church pastors and, and the challenges that you put out for pastors to live up to that potential and, and to do really incredible things. So, Carl, thanks so much for talking with us today. And I, and I know that our listeners are, are always grateful to hear your voice. Good to be with you guys. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired by this episode of the 200 Churches podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe at 200churches.com and receive the guy's free PDF download called Our 7 Favorite Ministry Resources. You can count on us to be back next Wednesday with another brand new shiny episode just for you. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love the people in your 200 Church.